everyone, my name is Kyla. Welcome to my channel where I talk about the stock market and the economy amongst other things. Today is the Everything That You Need to Know series, a series of different primaries where I break down everything that you need to know about the stock market, the economy, and the crypto market. If you want to go ahead and hit subscribe, that would be quite the investment. As always, my notes are attached in the description box below, so if you have any questions, go and check those notes out, and as always, ask them in the chat. So why oil and gas today? Yesterday, Biden announced that they were going to pull from the Strategic Petroleum Reserves, which essentially means that they're going to work in concert with a couple other countries to put oil on the market, and that's a very big deal in terms of how we think about gas prices, in terms of how we think about oil markets, and so this piece is just going to dive into what the oil markets are, what OPEC is doing, what Biden wants OPEC to do, and how you can think about that moving forward. So that is why oil markets are important and they're always important, but this is why they're especially important right now. Today is just absolutely wild. So just getting right into it, I'm going to talk about a lot of different stuff. I'm going to talk about the structure of the oil and gas market, what happened in March 2020, and also what happened yesterday. So yesterday was a lot of big news around oil and gas industry. I also want to highlight that the market, there's a ton going on this week. We had initial jobless claims, those came in good this morning. We had the Fed PCE, their primary number for inflation came in this morning too, came in right around what they were expecting. Morgan Stanley, I think, just raised their GDP target up a lot. Based on the wealth of data today, they revised their GDP growth number from 3% to 8.7%, so a huge revision in GDP from Morgan Stanley. And also Jamie Dimon came out and said that JP Morgan would outlast the China Communist Party. So just all this crazy stuff happening, and we're just going to get right into the depths of the oil and gas market. I'm going to address a lot of stuff at the end as well, talking about Turkey. The structure of the oil and gas industry, hydrocarbons are are really what makes the oil. You drill into ground and you tap into reservoirs and that is where you can get oil out of the ground. There's a very interesting podcast that I'll link below that dives into the history of the oil and gas market, how we got to drilling, how all this stuff came to surface. <laughs> Good joke. You can go and listen to that for a more in-depth overview on the history of oil and gas, but that's essentially what happens. There's three different modes of the industry. So there's upstream. This is the exploration and production of oil and gas. It's when you drill to extract. This is known as ENP colloquially. And then there's midstream. So that's transportation, trucking and shipping. So that's pipeline, waters, trucks, etc. And then downstream. So those are the refineries, removing impurities. And this is really important because this is how we get from that crude oil to gasoline. A lot of people conflate the two. They're two different things. So crude oil goes to refinery, crude oil gets turned into gas, the overall process. There's a difference between Brent and WTI. So Brent is used internationally, it consists of light, sweet crude oil from offshore drilling in the North Sea. So sweet crude oil is considered sweet because it contains less than 0.5 percent of sulfur. In comparison, sour crude oil contains more than 0.5 percent of sulfur. That's really the big difference between sweet and crude oil. Brent, again, is light sweet crude oil from drilling in the North Sea. WTI is here in the United States, and that's used for light and sweet oil in the United States. So those are the two big pricing metrics. So those are what we kind of look at for the health of the oil and gas industry. If we open up a graph of Brent versus WTI, we can kind of see the difference. So Brent normally trades at a premium to WTI. You can see, uh, obviously, what happened over the past couple of years is is price uh, the price of oil has significantly gone down for both indices and you can see the big crash in 2020 where prices went negative and i'll talk about what happened then and you can see now how how prices have moved over the past one year they've gone up over the past one year relative to what happened in covid what's going on in the oil market right now so opec is the organization of petroleum exporting countries and they're basically a cartel of 13 countries that essentially manage the price of oil because they control so much of the production and also have quite a bit in the reserves so they're essentially just large and in charge here 
they really cause, I don't want to say a lot of trouble, but they definitely cause a lot of uh, movement in the market. Biden came to them and was like, please produce more oil. And they were like, absolutely not. And Saudi Arabia is definitely the biggest producer. They produce 10 million barrels of oil per day. Russia is not a part of OPEC, but they produce about 11 million barrels of oil per day. The U.S. is kind of right up there with them with domestic crude oil production around 11 million barrels per day. But the U.S. is still an importer of oil as well. The big situation is 2020 was the very first year that the U.S. was a net oil exporter. So they exported more oil to other countries than they did importing. But now, because of declines in domestic crude oil production, the United States is not producing the same amount of oil that it used to. And so now there's kind of this reliance on exports once again. That's kind of what's going on with the oil market. That's the role of OPEC. And OPEC is really important because they do produce so much oil. And the United States and other countries are reliant on that oil and for a lot of different things. So what happened in March of 2020? How did the United States become a net importer of oil for one year? The the pandemic really impacted the oil industry because all of a sudden there was this huge decline in demand and there was still this massive supply. There was an oversupply, a decline in demand, a demand shock, and then also at the worst possible time, there there was a price war between Russia and Saudi Arabia that erupted in March because they were like, oh, we don't know how much to produce. And then both of them were like, you know what? Price war time. So Saudi Arabia initiated a price war on Russia, facilitating a 65% quarterly fall in the price of oil. Oil ended up going negative because both of them ended up flooding the market with oil. They were like, forget about you. It's my time to shine. But nobody wanted those oils because there was already a supply shock. There was already not enough demand. And the idea of having even more oil to try and go store somewhere, nobody was interested. So there was way too much oil on the market. Nobody wanted it. And so Saudi Arabia and Russia were kind of going back and forth. And then in April, they both agreed to cut production by about 10 million barrels per day. But the big issue was that prices had gone negative and nobody was interested in this oil. Because the thing with oil production is it can be slowed, but never really stopped completely. So even if you drop your production down to the lowest possible level, it doesn't really matter because people who are holding these oil contracts are like, no, I don't really want this. You can't pay people to take more oil at this point. Prices were negative. They were like, I don't have room. No thanks. Go and give it to somebody else. By summer of 2020, once we got news about vaccination, once we got news that emerged from lockdown eventually, OPEC agreed to cut production and things kind of normalized. I think this is a really interesting uh, graph from Oxford. And so it talks about the impact of low oil prices. So what leads to low oil prices? It's geopolitical factors, it's energetic efficiency and biofuel markets, it's the dollar and it's interest rates, but also it's OPEC's price they say oil price mismanagements, but all of this stuff kind of feeds into low oil prices. But a lot of stuff that drives the oil market, OPEC does drive a lot of that movement. So OPEC really controls production here. So the big thing is how can the United States sort of, you know, take back that power? That's kind of what's happening here. So what happened leading up to now? On the investment side, one could argue that this is a structural underinvestment in the oil markets because seven years of reduced investment that the SPR has done really nothing to address. I'll talk about what happened with the SPR, but sort of the state of oil markets right now is sort of this structural underinvestment. Nobody's really doing anything. And you, you could argue that capital efficiency, especially in the upstream pocket of the market, has improved and that has helped everything. You could still argue that there's a lot of structural problems with the oil market. There's also lush shale production as a percentage of global output, which is what the U.S does a lot of. Shale fields are essentially tapped, which is not good. There's also labor and materials inflation. Things are just really expensive. And there's also really high consumer demand because of the pandemic. So all of this is leading to higher prices, not only this sort of investment side, the structural underinvestment, but also because alternatives are not as great and things are inflated in terms of price across the board. Then consumer demand is really high because of. And so this looked really bad from an administrative perspective. So if you're Biden, you're president, you're like, oh, okay, this is all really not something that I want to deal with. And this is a 
quote, the soaring cost of gasoline so alarmed White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain at one point that he suggested taking the dramatic step of halting U.S. oil exports to drive costs down. This is not a great solution. So essentially, you know, the White House was like, we have to do something. One of the solutions was to stop the U.S. from exporting oil to other countries. That would be really bad because not only would it discourage domestic production, it would also decrease dollar demand. A ban on exports of crude oil but not gasoline will not lower the price of gasoline because you have that intermediary like we talked about. You have this refinery that has to take the crude oil and turn it into gasoline. Jason Bordoff, who is the co-founding dean of the Columbia Climate School, has testified in front of Congress about this idea how are prices at the pump set. Prices at the pump are set in global market and consumers remain vulnerable to global shocks regardless of how much or little we import. So he testified in front of Congress about this and that's really the big thing to kind of take away here is that yes, okay, you can stop U.S. producers from exporting oil, but you still have to deal with the gasoline prices, which is really the sticker shock that everybody's kind of worried about. Also gas prices, you know, demand has surged 4% from the prior Monday, was 6% higher than the average of the last four Mondays as motorists hit the road for Thanksgiving travel. There's just a lot of demand right now. People are out and about, they're doing their thing. Let's talk about consumption. So the U.S. currently consumes about 20 million barrels of oil per day. That's about 20% of global consumption. There are also sanctions on Iran, which I didn't really talk about with regards to OPEC, but there is a discussion with Iran and, and sort of like if Iran starts producing oil, will that help? But Iran, they're under sanctions. And so they're sort of renegotiating some of this stuff. And so there's this big meeting on Monday to talk about, do the sanctions have to go back in place for another 10, 15 years? If it's like, you know, more sanctions for you, that could also be impactful for the market and also be impactful for production. The U.S. is still going to be consuming approximately 20 million barrels of oil per day. But that's another important note. Is we have these economic sanctions on different countries and the United States is going to have to be very, very careful with how it negotiates with Iran. There's a lot of tension. This gets into what happened yesterday. So why is all this stuff happening? Why is everybody so concerned about gas prices? The U.S. is going to release crude oil from its strategic petroleum reserve in concert with China, <laughs> Japan, India, and South Korea in a bid to bring down prices. This is under a 1975 law that allows the president to do this in case of a severe energy supply intervention. So that's what we're dealing with right now, apparently, that threatens national security or the economy. And just a brief aside, when, when we look at this price of Brent and crude oil, all the way back in 2008, prices have been much, much higher before. $80 a barrel is not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things, but they're responding in the way that it seems to be so, which is interesting. And why are they responding this way? Why are they freaking out about, you know, $80 a barrel for oil? So Biden went to OPEC and he was like, please increase oil production, put some pressure on the market to drive down prices. OPEC was like, no, no thanks. And this is what he said in response, the idea that Russia and Saudi Arabia and other major producers are not going to pump more oil so people can have gasoline to get to and from work, for example, is not right. That's what he said. It's kind of like, dude, do you really think... OPEC does not care about that at all. The situation that the United States got into is that oil prices were really high and OPEC isn't helping. And so now they have, in concert with other countries, they were like, we'll tap into the strategic petroleum reserve, which is just barrels of oil that are set up in case of an emergency so they can tap into it, be like, all right, everybody, here's some oil. Here you go. Stop freaking out. The United States contributed 50 million barrels. India is 5 million barrels. Japan is 4.2 million barrels. China is doing somewhere around 15 million barrels and then South Korea is doing about 4 million barrels and then the United Kingdom is doing one and a half million barrels. In the US, 32 million barrels of the 50 million barrels are going to be released over several months. 18 million are going to be released in the accelerated fashion. If you think about it, all of this is 50 million barrels. The United States consumes 20 million barrels per day. <laughs> so they're doing, <laughs> they're like 50 million barrels, here you go. And yes, that could have like a long lasting impact. If you have a price levity for one day, 
day, that could definitely help. But uh, that's only about, what is that, two and a half days of two and a half days of supply, uh, maybe approximately. That's not great in terms of helping out the market. This is really, it was really a more symbolic thing and, and prices respond as such. And I'll, and I'll talk about that. But it, it's really just to provide liquidity to the market to be like, okay, we're going to intervene. We're going to be here. There's two main goals that this has. It's meant to flex on OPEC. It's basically a giant middle finger to OPEC. Say, hey, we can do this. We don't need you, hypothetically. And the big question is, will OPEC retaliate? Quote, oil demand is going up, not down. U.S. shale is now what it used to be, and for the foreseeable future, the world is going to need more Saudi oil. Saudi Arabia sees a different energy landscape than the United States does. That's primarily because they're sitting on so much oil, so they have the ability to see a much different landscape. They think that prices are going to be very loose in January. They think that demand is going to temper, that everything that is going on right now is really natural gas and coal. It's not really an oil problem. They've argued that OPEC has already added enough to the market, and they don't need they don't need to do this. They don't want to do this. They have no interest in doing this. And also Saudi Arabia is sitting on a lot of petrodollars. So once again, we're kind of seeing Saudi Arabia be like, whatever, like we don't have to do this. We literally don't have to do this. China and the US are working together to stabilize energy markets. So it just gets into, again, this weirdness of global relations, like poke, poke, you know, like poking the bear. Oh, oh my gosh. This is one of the biggest drawdowns ever from the reserve, surpassing US interventions amid Libyan unrest in 2011 in Operation Desert Storm in 1991. Biden saw higher gas prices at the pump and he was like, absolutely not. And he topped into SPR. And I get like, you know, you're worried about OPEC, you're worried about the OPEC response, you're worried that gas prices are that oil prices are going to continue to go upwards because there's a structural misbalance between supply and demand. When you think about the results of this, the market kind of feels the same way. So when I say dramatic, it, it's a dramatic response with very little impact. What are the results of this, right? So the oil market was pretty underwhelmed by the details of the package. Most of the oil is going to have to be returned to the stockpile by the refiners who buy it. It's really a loan. It's not like they're giving things out. International contributions were smaller than expected. Oil gain more than a dollar a barrel after the news hit. So the oil markets were like, whatever, dude, we don't care. OPEC is not going to boost their production. And it's political, right? It's all political. So Biden has to deal with his approvals. This is really a bridge, not a long-term solution. It's a diplomatic win for the U.S., a couple have argued, so coordination across countries. It's also <laughs> meant to challenge the grip that Saudi Arabia and Russia and other OPEC producers have on the market. And so this is from Chuck Schumer. Tapping the SPR will provide much-needed temporary relief at the pump and will signal to OPEC that they cannot recklessly manipulate supply to artificially inflate gas prices. Ah! <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that's what's happening. It's probably a good sign just in terms of international coordination. But if you think about sort of what is actually happening here, it, the market didn't care at all. And it was just like big dramatic thing. And I don't know. It's really about the narrative. So the problems are capital underinvestment in oil, blocking pipelines, etc. I'm really a green energy advocate. And that's one thing I hopefully I get across here on the channel is that I really do care about the environment a lot. I seriously hate cars. I don't drive, have no interest in ever owning a vehicle ever. But oil is used in so many things, running shoes, plastic. Everything that we do is, is still reliant on it. And the, this transition to green energy is bumpy. Having green energy policy without green energy investment is very difficult. That's kind of the situation that we're in right now. They say they have more tools in case things get worse. Hopefully demand tempers and will additional re releases help? That kind of stuff. So we're just in a, f a little funny of a spot, in my opinion. The energy transition is going to take a long time. The world that we have today and the world that we want are two very, very different things. So 
kind of zooming in even more into what happened as a result of the oil release, the barrels need to be repaid with a premium and how many are going to make a bet on that sort of price direction. So I think that oil prices are going to go up. I'm buying it at X barrel through the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. I know I have to return it with a premium and I also have to return that same exact spec of oil. So that same sort of grade. It doesn't really do anything for marginal barrel demand. But the big question is also, is this a new ceiling on prices? So we know that government intervention will happen around $80 a barrel. And this ceiling is created by reactivity to prices. The main thing is that this has changed the narrative. So this has sort of calmed the markets down. Definitely. It definitely helped things kind of like not move as fast. So it did help from that perspective. So what will happen next? They're charging a very expensive interest rate for these barrels of crude. They're basically offering it as a loan. They're not going to have restrictions on exporting it. So you can export to China. One third will probably be exported to China, according to some estimates. This is another thing that's important with regards to Brent versus WTI. American gasoline prices are much more closer to mirroring Brent oil, international crude oil, not US oil benchmarks. So the 50 million barrel surplus that's going to flood the market will increase domestic supplies, putting pressure on WTI, but it's also going to widen the differential between Brent and WTI. So places that rely on Brent are going to have to pay more. That's going to cause price pressure on Brent, which will put pressure on the pump prices too there that use Brent that import Brent. So it all matters. It all ties into each other. Here's some of the biggest questions. So you can kind of look at the curve to figure out what's going on, the oil futures market. A lot of traders are going into longer dated prices. They're starting to bid up those 2023 prices. So people are expecting oil prices to remain high into 2023 now because scarcity, they're not expecting the same amount of oil that we have now. So people are expecting oil prices to continue to go upward. Then another question is, what if demand doesn't come back down? What other tools do they have left? What if OPEC responds by not putting more oil on the market? They could also halt production. OPEC, I want to say oil pack. OPEC could easily halt production to totally wipe the slate, be like, okay, you want to do this SPR stuff? Let's go. Let's freaking go, dude. What happens with the relationship with China as well? And so China stepped in and they released a couple pieces in the Global Times. China is a net importer of petroleum bought 500 million tons of crude in the past year so they are importing a ton of oil and they could step in and help and in the in the global times they wrote it should be a symbolic response for china to release oil reserves china's only helping at its own pace and within its own capability the u.s has a strategic petroleum reserve about 727 million barrels making it the world's largest strategic crude reserves for comparison china only has about 40 million tons of crude but they do import a ton of it this global tightrope that everybody's walking like i said they're Meeting on Monday to talk about the nuclear deal. That could be really interesting in terms of the impact on the oil markets that that has with Iran. Is Iran going to be able to do some global production? I don't know. I don't know. Very quickly touching on natural gas prices in Europe. So just an energy crisis everywhere. I'm going to link Alex Good sent me a really, really good video around hope within the energy market. So I'll tag that in the description box below because there is always hope on the horizon. There's always people innovating. But yeah, energy prices in Europe are a mess right now. Natural gas is through the freaking roof. And it's very expensive. So we see a lot of pressure, European energy crunch. There's no uh, electricity SPR for Europe to tap in order to get more electricity. So we're seeing very, very high power prices over there right now, which is not awesome. Not good at all. Turkey. Uh, Turkey, the lira has fallen as much as 45% this year, 20% in the last week alone. The government doesn't really want to intervene and has said that sell-off in their currency is detached from fundamentals, even though their president just cut rates by 400 basis points. So it's, it's tough, right? The central bank will only intervene if there's excess volatility. 
and Apple has temporarily halted sales in Turkey. There was a piece talking technology as investment in Turkey. It's not just a tool. Your phone is an investment. It's not just a tool for you to use. So things are very bad over there in terms of currency stability. Hopefully the central bank will intervene because uh, it has been quite volatile. It, it calmed down a little bit, but lots of volatility in the lira once again. Also USDT is crashing in India. So Tether is crashing over in India and that has led to a lot of arbitrage in the Indian uh, crypto markets and India is sort of doing something funny with crypto banning private cryptocurrencies. Uh, you have Canadian companies buying up virtual land and then we have the wackiness of the oil markets, the wackiness of the energy markets. But yeah, lots of economic data coming out today. There's just a lot happening at all times. So hopefully this video was a helpful overview on the oil markets, on what's going on in the oil markets and how you can think about the oil markets. Uh, let me know if you have any thoughts, questions, comments, concerns below. And uh, I will be not back tomorrow, holiday week in the US, so it's all weird uh, in terms of time allocation. Thanks so much for hanging out. Thanks so much for spending time with me and I will see you soon. Sorry for no video yesterday. I was trying to explain Olympus, Olympus Dow, and the Ohm token. The research took way longer than I thought it would. And if you want to go ahead and hit subscribe, that would be investing in the strategic petroleum reserve of Kyla. <laughs> yeah. And I will see you all soon.